Welcome back to another episode of Chatting Rabbis. This is Eliezer Zalman of in Munster, Indiana. Mendy Chitrick from Istanbul, Turkey. How are you, Mendy? So you're not actually in Istanbul right now, are you? No, I'm not in Istanbul. I'm in a place called Ayvalik. Ayvalik is about a 40-minute drive from a very famous city in antiquity called Pergamon. It also had a Jewish community for many, many hundreds of years. Not anymore. Shul was recently renovated by the local municipality. Um, I did call them, call upon them on my Twitter feed that they should uh, also try to put a fence around the cemetery. There's a Jewish cemetery there. Yeah, quite a large one, a Jewish cemetery surrounded by buildings and car shops, and it has started to become a parking lot for used and unused cars. So um, definitely, I think that they should try to put a, a fence around it, a gate around it, something that the, the grade should not be desecrated. Make it respectful. That's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, the cemetery still stands. Synagogue was just recently renovated. Looks nice. And it's part of your uh, Turkish-Jewish road trip, but not actually a road trip? That's right. So this year, it's not much of a road trip. It's a day trip. So this one is a three-day. I've been to Bursa. I've been to Akhisar, I've been to Pergamo, Ivalik today, tomorrow I'll be in some other places that have also some Jewish history, I'll post some pictures and them. Not doing a very much of a thread because uh, this year that we have so many guests on Shabbos, I must be back every Friday to cook for Shabbos, as we spoke uh, last week, I believe. Your wife's still out of town? My and my wife is still out of town, so I'm out uh, from uh, Monday Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm back in town preparing for the guest. And while we'll do, we also do uh, food deliveries during the week. Anyway, today is a special day. Today is a special day. Today is the yard site of the Rebbe's father, Arav Levi Yitzchak Schneerson. And uh, although nobody in Chabad today actually knew the Rebbe's father, but we learned and we've heard so much about him from the Rebbe over the years that it almost feels like he was our, he was a part of the uh, chain of Rebbes in the Chabad dynasty, even though he wasn't actually a Rebbe in the Chabad dynasty, but still, he still occupies a very special place in the heart of, of Lubavitchers and Chabad today. Of course. Now, now many, people, many people don't know, and we know, we know him today, or most of us know him from the perspective of the Dora Shvi, of the perspective of Hasidim of the Rebbe. The people who had lived... Uh, prior to the Rebbe becoming our Rebbe, prior to 1950, and knew him then, knew him from a different perspective. Because he was a, a follower, a chassid, of the fifth Rebbe, of the, of the Rebbe Rashab. He was not as much of a follower of the Rebbe Rayat, uh, the sixth Rebbe, who was the father-in-law of our Rebbe. And um, today, we we see him as a pers- in the perspective of being the Rebbe's father, and of course, uh, the Rebbe has uh, elevated him to heights of uh, as uh, you know as a son does to his father. But um, the Hasidim of the previous uh, Rebbe of the, have not seen him in that light. Nevertheless, definitely he was a special person, a very very important personality who has also given up his life you know he was uh, he was arrested as being the rabbi of Dnepropetrovsk at the time arrested sent to jail um, ended up in uh, in uh, in a little village in Kazakhstan 
where he also uh, became very sick with the cancer, eventually died um, after being released from his captivity. In 1944. In 1944, and buried in Kazakhstan. In I think that the uh, the reason the, uh, the Rebbe's father occupies so much of our uh, fascination, I guess, in Deir Ashvi, like you said, as Hasidim of the seventh Rebbe, is because... Besides that, the Rebbe spoke about him a lot, and the Rebbe promoted him, like you said, as being a, uh, a, a part, part of the Chabad dynasty today. But I think from the way we see Rebbe Levi Yitzchak's writings and his teachings and just his style of, of, uh, of being a rabbi shaped, if we can use that term, shaped who the Rebbe turned out to be. I, am not, I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't think so because, listen, the, the Rebbe Levi Yitzchak was not your standard uh, chassid. And he was a Kabbalist. And he was uh, very much involved in Gematrias and a whole bunch of things like that, which have not played through with the Rebbe. Yeah, the Rebbe did speak about his Biurim and the Shah and the Zoyar, and the Rebbe mentioned him many times, and the Rebbe, but the Rebbe transformed his uh, Rebbe Levi Yitzchok's Torah into the Rebbe's standardized Torah, but it's not the other way around. It's not that his Torah is is not in line with with uh, with Mamorim or Chabad Hasidus. No, it's not. Right, right. No, I, I agree with that. I'm just saying that the Rebbe's style of of uh, of speaking and the Rebbe's approach to Judaism in general and to teaching Judaism and to preaching Judaism even seems to have been based more on his father's style than perhaps even the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayatz's style. Just in the way they spoke and the way they the way they communicated. Again, let me let me defer here. The Rebbe's style of his kashrus, of connecting to the Rebbe and to the Rabbeim, also did not follow the line of his father, Rebbe Yitzchak. Because his father, Rebbe Yitzchak, was not a mekusher of the previous Rebbe. He was a mekusher or he was attached, he was a student, a follower of the fifth Rebbe. Right, right. I don't, I don't think we're, we're differing over it. I don't think we're arguing. I'm just saying specifically in the style of teaching, in the style of promoting, and in the style of reaching others. As far as being a chassid, 100%. The Rebbe was very much mekusher to his father-in-law, and, and his father had his own uh, unique style of doing that. But I think that, uh, that also a lot that we learned about Rebbe Levitzka came out in the more recent uh, uh, years um, with, the, with the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe Tzinschana's memoirs being tra- uh, published, translated and published for everybody to read. And we read some of the behind-the-scenes style of uh, operation and function, the way Rebbe Levitzka operated as the chief rabbi of Dnepr Petrovsk and then later in his exile in Kazakhstan. One thing that, that stood out, and I think that uh, perhaps as a shliach I can relate to this, where uh, there were two th- seemingly contradictory aspects in Rebbe Levi Yitzchak's style of being a rabbi in a community that consisted of some religious from Jews, but many non-from Jews, or even uh, and after with a turn of uh, communism, where people were wanted to be from but were not able to, they were forced to work on Shabbos and so on. So one of the things that we know about Rebbe Levi Yitzchak that, that is that on his uh, for his high holiday services for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, he would start davening very early in the morning, so that people that were forced to go to work or people that chose to go to work or whatever, we give them the benefit of the doubt that they had no choice, they 
where it would at least be able to come to shul if it was Rosh Hashanah to hear Shoifer and, and if it was Yom Kippur to daven with a minion and say Yizker for their parents if they needed to. That was one thing that he, he was very accommodating in that. But on the flip side, when it came to the end of Yom Kippur, we read about Rebbe Levi Yitzchak refusing to start Mincha Neila early because he felt that if they finished Neila early, people would go home and break their fast before the fast was actually over. So he insisted on starting Mincha and Neila at, a, at, a, uh, at the correct time, so that Neila and the final shoifer, even though halachically you can blow the shoifer earlier, it doesn't have to be the end of Yontif, but he refused to allow the shoifer to be blown at the end of Neila before Yom Kippur was actually over, because he knew that as soon as it's over, people will leave and go home to eat, and potentially eat on Yom Kippur. So these two... These two contra seemingly contradictory aspects, because on one hand he was very accommodating, but on the other hand he refused to budge when it came to the end of Yom Kippur, kind of reminds me of how a shliach operates, where we have our standards and we have to know where we have to put our foot down and where we have to be accommodating and be able to fit in and work work with uh, the, the, the circumstances on the ground. Right, but he was also uh, very, very stubborn in many ways, as uh, his wife, Rebbe Tzanchana, uh, writes in many things, and that actually... Um, was so stubborn about uh, about if in, obviously in good things things that have to do Torah and mitzvahs that that eventually brought him to be arrested and sent to um, and sent to exile and definitely the, the, these these things definitely have played um, in you know the stubbornness the the not giving up on certain things and not giving up on, on an individual even on the people who are going to work on on on, uh, on Shabbos and Yom Tif. And Oshon and Yom Kippur, and not to giving up on them. Also, this this definitely did play out later years by the Rebbe. Um, I also want to point out of uh, I have gotten to know uh, throughout the years the uh, Chabad Shluchim in in Kazakhstan, Mopshaye um, Cohen, his brother Elchanan Cohen, his uh, the other Shluchim there, maybe ten or twelve families. And I've come to know people who are really, really devoted, serious, and, and really people who who epitomize what is mysterious nefesh, giving up on their own, giving up on, on their own comfort of life. Is Kazakhstan is considered a Muslim country, right? Well, not considered. Of course, Kazakhstan is a Muslim country. It's, it's what it's um, part of part of the alliance. And that's right, part of the alliance of rabbis and Islamic states. But um, I, I've known Shaykhon uh, for many, many years, even throughout his uh, trials and tribulations with the Chabad system as well. And um, I've seen people who, you know, they don't live, Kazakhstan is not a comfortable place like Turkey, definitely not like Munster, Indiana. It's like uh, out there in the boonstocks. And they, uh, they live in like these little holes in the ground, let me tell you. In you know in the courtyard of the shul, because the shul is right across the street from the gravesite of uh, of uh, Reblevik. and people who who do whatever is needed to help another Jew to to reach out to another Jew, and to to be of help to other shluchim to other people to other rabbis, and they're really really incredible people who who have totally don't look out for own physical comfort. And I'm not looking out to uh, to drive a Lexus like other Chabad Shluchim uh, fortunately do. People who are completely devoted to the cause and they are commendable people. I have uh, countless times I when I'm in doubt and I have some issues to discuss, I call up Rav Shai Cohen and ask him for his advice. You know why? 
because he really, really does it without any, without involving anything of his own intentions, thoughts. He just tries to 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 be of help and tries to give advice. And I think that definitely they were able to connect somehow to that spirit of the uh, Levi because they also care so much. And maybe it's a good time that uh, that we speak about the Shai Cohen and his things because uh, right now they are doing a fundraising campaign. And uh, for anybody who <laughs> wants to help them out, because um, definitely it's a good time to uh, to do a mitzvah and to help out uh, Chavad of Kazakhstan. Right. So for for those of our listeners who are not as familiar with uh, the history of, of the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, and how he ended up in Kazakhstan. So Mendy mentioned that he was a chief rabbi of Dnepropetrovsk, and he was extremely stubborn in his application of Jewish law, and as we read now in the news about Ukraine being the biggest producer of wheat probably in the world, going back as far back as uh, the 30s and 40s, when uh, all of the matzah for most of uh, Eastern Europe and perhaps all of Europe was produced in Ukraine under his kosher certification. And once uh, communism took over, everything was nationalized. All the industries were nationalized and owned by the Communist Party and by the government. And they expected him to conform and to fall in line and to just follow his uh, follow their uh, requirements and to be lax in his kosher supervision and to just give his stamp of approval. And he refused to do that. He fought for the actual uh, kashras and the, and the uh, standards that he adhered to. And after a while, the the communists had enough of that and created a uh, a mock trial for him. Ended up sentencing him to a harsh exile. And I don't even know how to pronounce the name of the city in Kazakhstan, Chiali or Chiali, where he spent uh, several years and then was finally allowed to leave that city and was able to move to Almaty, or as it's called in Yiddish, Almata and uh, settle there with other refugees from the war where, uh, where, as we said, he got sick and eventually passed away in 1944. And Rebbe Khana, his wife, was, uh, was finally able to leave. Uh, first, she left Kazakhstan to Moscow and then eventually was able to make, it to make her way to Paris where the Rebbe met her in 1947 and she came back, she came back with him to New York where she settled until she passed away in, in 1964. But... For years, Reb Levick's grave was just was never tended to, and nobody cared for it, and nobody ever visited it, aside for uh, individuals who made the trek and uh, and researched it and found it. With time and with the with the help of, I'm sure, wealthy uh, individuals and resources, they were able to erect a proper monument. And over the last few years, uh, many people have been visiting Almaty in Kazakhstan uh, on the 20th of Av, on the Rebbe's father's yard site, to pay respect not only to the individual who's buried there, the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Levi himself, but really to pay respect to the Rebbe, who was never able to visit his father's grave. And although he said Kaddish every year on the 20th of Av, but not being able to visit your father's grave, not being able to, not having seen him uh, for a decade before he passed away, was uh, was probably very difficult and 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 emotionally re- uh, gut wrenching for the Rebbe, I'm sure, and therefore uh, Chassidim today feel like visiting the Rebbe's father's grave on Chafav on the twentieth of Av is a way to, uh, to connect to the Rebbe in a way. There's something nice about it, uh, though it become a little bit, it has become a little bit uh, 
uh, too commercialized. Like like anything else, like anything else, like uh, like Shavuos and Hadich became commercialized, and uh, Lagboimer and Miron becomes commercialized. It's one of those things that you have to take the good that's in the uh, in the big package and uh, and do away with all the side noise and focus on the positive. Right, hundred percent. But you know, it, it gets a little bit uh, sticky when it becomes like a you know a men's trip with uh, uh, business class seats uh, back and forth and five star hotels, etc. But uh, let's let's put all this uh, gashmis on the side. It definitely is a beautiful thing to come to respect the Rebbe's father for first of all for who he was, and then um, of course through that also respecting the Rebbe because the Rebbe. Uh, you know, do we go there? Because it's a, at the end of the day, it's a respecting uh, the Rebbe as well. So yes, definitely, there's a, there's a beautiful thing about it. Um, but you know, everything has. A, I like to take things with a grain of salt. Of course, of course, we all do, and I'm not I'm not, uh, not questioning that there are different motives. And it, and yes, it becomes a fun trip for some people, and that's totally totally understandable that people have issues with that. I'm not even going to get into that. You know, I saw I saw an interesting uh, meme on the internet the other day. I shared it with you earlier, um, where it says I'm at a stage in my life where I don't argue with anybody anymore. You want to tell me that two plus two is five? No problem. Enjoy. Have a nice day. So yes, we're not looking for arguments. It is what it is. Exactly, and especially we you know we don't want to have this uh, chatting rabbis being cancelled over and over and over every every week. So we gotta keep it mellow a little bit. Right. But going going back to what you said earlier about Rabbi Shaya Kohn and his family, who, like you said, had their own issues and their tribulations with the Chabad hierarchy. But the fact that they're there put the city, the country, on the map and allows for, A, for Judaism to flourish there, uh, for the community that lives there now, but also for... I think for, Borat put the country on the map. Huh? They, yeah, they, they, that went, once they went Hollywood, it went... Uh, <laughs> then uh, there's no turning back. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, 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 I would like to say that it's, th- it's thanks to them that Chafav is, a, is as recognized and as great as it is today. Of course, when the Rebbe was, was living and he had a Fabrengan every year on Chafav, we, 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 we knew and acknowledged the date that it was important. But the fact that there are people living there now and that tend to the Rebbe's father's grave and enable visitors there to come year-round, of course, but also on the 20th of Av, is, is, uh, is thanks to them there. So... Like you said, they're, they're holding a, a fundraiser now. Um, so if anybody's uh, interested, um, you can ask Mendy for the link to make a donation to Chabad of Kazakhstan in honor of the Rebbe's father. That's right. But it, it, it's not only that. They definitely do um, carry, you know, they, everything that they do, they uh, carry the spirit of Rebbe Levi Yitzchok and everything they do is in his memory, of course, um, you know, with his pictures and with his toilets and with the, going to the to his uh, gravesite and also fixing up his the oil over there and building it up and you know making it uh, so much more comfortable to people and of course being uh, having an open place i've visited uh, quite a few times um i was privileged to be there and half of a few times and uh, definitely having them being so involved is uh, very very uh, very, very encouraging, very important, and uh, the very, it's a great cause. Besides, uh, Kazakhstan is a place that has uh, close to 20,000 Jews, and they have shluchim in, I think, five or six cities in Kazakhstan. Uh, some shluchim are in Kazakhstan itself. It's very, very far. There's no direct flights anywhere, not to Israel and not to America. You have to fly through Turkey or through Dubai or through other, other countries. And some some cities, uh, after flying to, to Kazakhstan, on a 20-hour trip, you have to uh, to drive away another eight, nine hours in order to get there. And you have a shliach sitting and living in that, uh, in that uh, you know, 
in such place, in such uh, circumstances, in such conditions, and dealing and taking care of these, uh, that uh, Jewish community of 200 or 1,000 Jews, it's something very, very commendable, something that many times people uh, take, maybe don't even take for granted, don't even know about. Uh, you know, what, what, I, what I love about our conversations, uh, you and me, especially when I hear from you about how in all you are from other shluchim's miseris nefesh and other shluchim's commitment to the cause, and you, you say that it doesn't compare to Istanbul or to Munster because we have a good life, but they're really suffering. I think uh, I think our listeners can uh, can uh, take be reminded of the fact that your life in Istanbul is not all peachy and rosy, and there are issues. There's issues with the with the government, and there's issues with the community, and there's issues with Chabad. There's always issues, and nothing is perfect, and Mendy's not sitting al sir basar as they say, sitting over a pot of meat and enjoying his life. Everybody has their issues, everybody has their challenges, everybody has their struggles, and to be able to recognize that your struggles are not as bad or not as complicated or not as difficult as someone else's is, is very commendable. And uh, you know, we, we like to talk about in Judaism, we speak about hashgacha pratis, about divine, divine providence, that everything falls into the right place, and everything happens for the right reason, and everybody ends up exactly where they're supposed to be. So I'm in Indiana because that's where I was supposed to be. You're in Turkey because that's where you're supposed to be. And the Shluchim in Kazakhstan are the perfect people to be there because that's where they're supposed to be. It's all Hashgacha Pratis. Everybody ends up in the right place. You're right. But still, we also we have a quite healthy balance between Hashgacha Pratis and, we, and, uh, and our own Pchir Chofshis. So we have Hashgacha Pratis and Pchir Chofshis balance each other or ex each other. And uh, work together. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, work together more often than cancel each other out. Right. So, uh, so you know, and together with that, with the fact that uh, you know, when when even though a waiter doesn't have much of a choice to uh, to pour you or to serve you because that's his job, nevertheless, you say thank you to him, and. Uh, uh, you know, it's not only because it's menschlich, because yes, he also has the choice of giving you the food a little bit later or a bit earlier and doing it with a smile or doing it with a frown. So while we definitely believe in the concept of Ashgach we also believe in the concept of Bechir Chavshis, of a person have a free choice, choose to do something and choose to go somewhere. And when a person, you know, otherwise there would be no place for... Uh, for recognition and no 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 place for uh, for self motivation and no place of, of moving things forward because a person says well this is the that's what I have that's what I do no we also we we were given the right we're given the, the opportunity to choose ourselves and by divine providence we also cat we know we we end up doing what we were supposed to do. I think the Rebbe once responded to a shliach who was supposed to do something, was supposed to accomplish something. And for whatever reason, he wasn't able to, and he wasn't able to carry through. And he wrote a report to the Rebbe saying that, unfortunately, whatever was supposed to happen didn't happen, but it's all ashgacha pratis. It's all divine providence. And the Rebbe's response to him was, don't mix ashgacha pratis into your own failures. You, if, if you failed, don't blame it on Ashgacha Pratis. Yes, event, what was supposed to happen, happened, but you're still supposed to motivate yourself and push yourself to, to accomplish. Obviously, only the Rebbe can tell that to someone because the Rebbe can see right through you and sees, sees where, you, uh, where you failed and why you failed. Right. So, yes, so we should definitely all take a day like today and uh, try to harness ourselves and the people around us to do more good and to do another good and, do, and to accomplish more and do more and be better people. And that's definitely something that um, that uh, we should all try to go, as the Rabbi used to say, go in the ways of the Baal Lula, go in the ways of the, the of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, 
And even though, uh, no, we don't want to all go to jail and end up in five-year exile in uh, Chile, um, but we want to, um, to, to move and to go to places with our own will, with our own two feet. Nevertheless, we should definitely take a lesson from the fact that, uh, that Reb Lev Yitzchak was a person of determination, a person who did not care and did not uh, budge for challenges that came in front of him. And nevertheless, and, and exactly and just the opposite, he, he took those challenges by, by their horns and, and used it for the betterment and to, for improving of Yiddishkeit. The Rebbe once said that the fact that the Chaf of the, his father's yard site is observed so many years after his passing is the greatest sign that Rebbe Yitzchak won. Even though on the surface he died in exile and he wasn't able to carry through everything that he started and that he was hoping to accomplish in his life, but the fact that so many years later Yiddishkeit is thriving and his yard site is still being commemorated and lessons are still being taken from his life is the greatest indication that, that we won. That uh, even though his life, his physical life is over and, he's, and he passed away and he suffered, but today, 80, almost 80 years later, he won. There's no, uh, no question about that, that Yiddishkeit won and Torah won and, uh, and uh, re- religious observance in, uh, in the uh, former Soviet Union is flourishing and growing. And uh, that's the victory that we all hope for. But let, let me add also, you know, always I try to uh, mix in, you know, uh, our family uh, history, you know, that our uh, great-grandfather, Rebidu Hitlik, was a roommate of Reb Yitzchak's father in Lubavitch. Oh, wow, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, Rebor Schneer was the father of Reb Lev Yitzchak. He used to come to Lubavitch, to the city of Lubavitch, and he used to dorm in the same room as Elthazay the Yuda. Right, because he was a lot older than him. He wasn't his age. So he was older than him. He was older than him, but he used to come for, for a, you know, one or two, three months at a time, and they slept in the same room. Oh, wow. No, I, I heard from Elthazay the Yuda several times. He, he used to tell me how he used to do this, he used to do that. How he used to wash Negevas, he used to wake up to the, a whole bunch of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I, because I asked him, uh, did he, I asked him if he met Rebleivik before. So he said yes, and he came, he came once or twice to Lubavitch, and this and that. But he said, but I knew his father. He slept in the same room. We had the same Achsanya. Right. And then many years later, they became a Chotanim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different story. That's a different story. All right. Very good. It's good talking to you, Mendy. Enjoy the rest of your journeys. Catch you next week. Bye.